Hello, everyone. How are you doing? Thank you so much for inviting us into your homes. This is Save News TV. And what's going on in Israel? How are you today, Callie? I'm doing really well. It's a cold day here and we're in Hanukkah, but besides that, things are really good. Yes, yes. I know that this is um, a wonderful time of year for um because of the significance of Hanukkah. Yeah. And I'm just so excited. I, I know a lot of Christians, they celebrate um, Christmas, but I, you know, and I'm sure a lot of other people, we do acknowledge and celebrate Hanukkah. Mm. And I have, you know, one of my best friends, we do it every year and I'll be going over to her house for the final dinner, the final night. Oh, and um, it's, it's like a tradition. And it's important for us as Christians and, and children of God to understand the feasts, the festivals, the holidays of the Bible. And so, you know, we're going to talk a little bit about Hanukkah and take it away, Callie. <laughs> yeah, well, I love Hanukkah. Um, it's actually kind of sentimental to me because um, my childhood best friend was Messianic Jewish. And mm -hmm. they, they just attended the Baptist church with us that we went to. But um, her family was always so gracious to include me in some of their Hanukkah celebrations when we were little. And I have these nice memories of Hanukkah, <laughs> like coming from a Gentile Christian home. I, you know, just because of my friend, I have such nice memories of Hanukkah. Um, so it's really fun for me to celebrate with my children. Um, but one thing that's really interesting about Hanukkah is that it's the only um, holiday that the Jewish people celebrate that's actually named in the New Testament, but not in the Old Testament. <laughs> yes. I think it's really and there's fun. a reason. What? I said, and there's reasons. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it, um, in John chapter 10, it says at that time, verse 22, it says at that time, the feast of dedication took place in Jerusalem. It was winter and Yeshua was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So when it, where it mentions the feast of dedication there, that that's Hanukkah. Hanukkah is the feast of dedication. So I just think that's a fun, a fun fact um, for Christians to know is that this is something that, um, that Yeshua celebrated, and it's right there in John 10, 22. And interestingly, it's not in the Old Testament. It does appear in the book of Maccabees, which isn't um, in the canon of the Old Testament. But Right. Um, yeah, but the history of Hanukkah is that um, it, the story takes place during the time where the Greeks had taken over Jerusalem, and they had desecrated the temple. Um, and there was a family, the Maccabee family, that rose up and launched an attack against the Greeks. And it was led by their son, Judah. So Judah Maccabee is a great hero of, um, of Hanukkah. And Maccabee means hammer. Um, so he was like the hammer. Um, so Judah Maccabee was this great hero. He led this revolt against the Greeks. And they took over, they recaptured the temple, but they only had enough oil to burn in the menorah for one day. And miraculously, it burned for eight days. <laughs> you so, look, we know our Lord, yeah. our God. Yeah. Right. He, he's, he's the God of multiplication. 
Yeah, yeah. So he could have easily, I mean, of course, this story doesn't appear in scripture, so we can't say that it has like the scriptural authority of being the word. But if he can multiply the loaves and fishes, he can multiply the oil. <laughs> if you can strike a rock and get water, he can definitely multiply the oil. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So that's why we celebrate for eight days is to remember those eight days that the um, their menorah burned. We call the Hanukkah menorah Hanukkah. And it actually has eight um, eight candles on either or four, you know, four on either side of the one in the middle, which is the Shemesh. The Shemesh is the servant. So it's the servant. So in our home, we talk about the servant as being Yeshua and he's the light of the of the world. And so that light goes and lights each of the other candles on the Hanukkah. Um, and my kids get um, one small present every night, kind of like a stocking stuffer. You know, something that size, really small. And we do all the traditional, we do uh, like the traditional Hanukkah foods, like um, um, latkes, which are potato pancakes. And I make homemade applesauce to go with that. Devin makes the latkes. I make the applesauce. Um, and I make it a little Southern. I make it like a, a little, because I'm from the South. So I make it like warm baked applesauce. <laughs> and we also make chicken gravy to go on top. <laughs> Woo, we got <laughs> um, and we have the donuts. The donuts are called sufganyot. That's another Hanukkah tradition. The idea with the food for Hanukkah is that you eat a lot of food cooked in oil because of the oil, the multiplication of the oil. Um, yes. So you eat a lot of oily food. So I, I also made fried cornbread this week too. That's um, my Mima's recipe. <laughs> I did that because it's you know cooked in oil and. Um, that went over really well with everybody. Um, the kids really like that. They dipped it in syrup. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's really a fun time. And I love Hanukkah. It's just, you know, there's a simplicity about it too, where as like Christmas, maybe part of the fun is the excess. <laughs> that could be part of the fun. But there's also something about Hanukkah where just going around and seeing your neighbors to have their Hanukkahs in the windows is just so pretty. You know, like walking around and seeing the, the little lights burning in the window. It's just really beautiful and um, just simple. Um, and it's also a good time because it is the, it's the, um, the feast of dedication. It's also a nice time to go back and think about yourself and just rededicate your own life to the Lord. Um, Cause the Greeks, you know, they were sacrificing pigs in the temple, you know, like that was, pigs are like, that was a definite no, no. Yeah. Yeah. I mean like they're seriously not kosher. So, um, they were doing something, they were seriously desecrating the temple there. So, you know, it had to go through this whole ritual process of rededication. And um, it's a good time to just personally reflect and be like, Lord, what do I need to do to rededicate areas in my life to you that maybe have gotten off course or um, just need to be, you know, refined or just brought before you again. Um, so we kind of talk about those things in our home about like Yeshua being the servant in the light and, um, being dedicated to the Lord. Yes, yes, it's a beautiful time of 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 year, and um, like I stated, it's important for we Christians to understand the feast, the festivals, and the holidays. Um, and you know, maybe one day uh, I'll do a teaching, or we can do a teaching. <clears throat> excuse me on you know the secular holidays and mm -hmm. like i stated i don't 
I don't celebrate Christmas because it is a secular holiday. It's rooted in into that. And it's important for people to understand that, you know, there's uh, like the Easter and the Easter bunny and the Easter eggs. I mean, <laughs> come on now, people. Come on, people. But um, that's not what we're talking about today. And I know there probably be a lot of backlash. Oh, you're not talking. You don't celebrate Christmas. You don't celebrate it. <laughs> you know, but it's it's not biblical, and um, it does not line up with the Word of God. So you know, it is what it is. You know, if you study and read the Bible, you know that uh, Yeshua was not born on December 25th. You know, more like probably September around that yeah, time. He was born at Sukkot. Yes, yeah. most definitely. So, um, like I stated, we probably need to do a in 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 depth teaching if because there's a lot of people that do not know. There are a lot of people that do know, but they still um, adhere to that. You know, I tell you, Merry Christmas. That's what you, you know, it doesn't hurt me to tell you Merry Christmas mm -hmm. because it is something you celebrate. But that's not something that I do. Hmm, I but, knew that about you. <laughs> Yes, 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 yes. You know, I don't always share it because sometimes people are, you know, they get well, personal. legalistic. <laughs> hmm? yeah. It's personal. They, get, they become legalistic. I don't mind sharing, you know, personal things, yeah. but um, they become legalistic. They've been taught and it's been embedded, you know, um, the Christmas tree. We can break down the tree and the word of God and. Uh, the lights and all of that, you know, we can all be broken down. We can break it down, but, <laughs> um, but anyway, it's uh, so wonderful um, to have Hanukkah. My, you know, this, I, I enjoy the cedar part. I'm not going to tell any fibs. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I enjoy a good meal. <laughs> yeah, it's good. Yes, yes, yes. And um, which we should have, and we apologize. Maybe next year we'll bring you all the cedar plate and um, explain all of the foods, the bitter herbs, and all of that yeah, to you. At Pesach when that comes around in the spring. Yes, yes. So maybe we'll do that in the spring. And I'm just so excited that uh, we were able to touch on Hanukkah. Happy Hanukkah, everyone. And um, so what are you preparing for tonight? What, what What's your tonight, Callie? Our dinner tonight? Mm-hmm. Tonight, we're actually doing our latkes. Devin's had a big project for work he's been doing, so... Um, we had to save that for him to get finished because he's the latke man. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. So we're doing that tonight. <laughs> yeah. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Enjoy. Enjoy. <laughs> well, anyway, you know, people people don't call until you get on the live. <laughs> you know? Now the phones be break, you know, uh, blowing up. Let me decline. You know? <laughs> Someone needs you now. <laughs> yeah, they need me now. You know, they didn't need me before, but they need me now. Right. You know? <laughs> but uh, anyway, uh, we're going to go on to our next topic um, because it is very interesting. You all hold tight. We're going to do a little swoop so I can put me a timestamp.
All righty then, everyone. Thank you for allowing me to do my little swoop. Now, Callie, you, you know, last night <clears throat> I did a live with Apostle Carmina Cox and the title was um, Exposing the Devil and His Tricks. It was deep. We went really, we went really, <laughs> we went deep. We, I put a link in the description um, to that video so you all can watch. But now looking, you know, one thing about it, we know that slave news and our capacity is on the right track because you, I mean, you've been under attack, you know, last week, which was crazy. I've been in, um, okay, now Satan, don't even play with me, boys and boys. Uh, I rebuke you in the name of Yeshua. Uh, get up off this broadcast in Yeshua's name. And for those that do not know who Boyce and Boyce is, B-O-I-C-E, B-O-Y-C-E, they are the demonic forces that um, rule over telecommunications, the sky communications, phone lines, uh, anything like that. So if you ever run into a problem with your telephone and um, computer and all of that that, that you can't overcome, you need to come against the um, demonic spirits of voice and voice. Okay, so now that I've gotten that out of the way, you, like I said, last week, it was crazy. I've never, all the years I've been doing this, I've never had such a, such a, an experience. It was just all like took me back. But also, you just had an, another experience. The enemy yes, is on yes. you, girl. So you know you're doing what's right for the <laughs> Lord. Tell us about that, girl. Right. And so we, I hadn't planned on sharing this with you all, but AZ and I were talking about it in the pre-show. And she was like, I think you need to share that. Um, but we, I was with my children. We were headed to a friend's house on Tuesday. We were riding a bus. It was a, a bus that we don't ride, a new bus. Um because usually when we go to this friend's house, we go in the car. <laughs> so I had me and the four children. We're riding this bus. And uh, just a little bit before um, it was time for us to get off, this woman came on. And she was upset with me because my mask was about like this. And uh, she was. She told me she she told me to put it back on. And so and then she was also upset because my children didn't have on masks. Um, so I I told her thank you for your concern. And I sort of pulled it up a little bit, but then I pulled it back down. Um, and I'm not sick. <laughs> not sick. Neither are my kids. We're not sick. Um, so I pulled it back down and um, she came back around and she was very angry and started fussing with us. And she spoke a word curse. She said, I wish a fine on your whole family. And at that point, you know, I had been just polite and kind of tried to ignore her. But at that point, I was like, no, 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 you do not. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, I said, that is a word curse. And I do not receive that in the name of Yeshua and because of his blood. I rebuke that word curse and I do not receive it. And I said that on the bus with all my Jewish neighbors. Mm -hmm. just, said it, just spoke it. <laughs> right. Is that you have? You know, people receive things because they don't want to feel, you know, embarrass anybody or hurt anybody. Feel yeah, but when it comes to spiritual warfare, when it comes to spiritual things, you just got to forget everybody around you and, and 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 attack that issue. Yeah, I just wasn't. I wasn't going to receive that, and I wasn't going to. I mean, I wasn't going to let her. 
think that it was okay to say that to someone either. So I just took authority over it. I rebuked it. And, but when I did, it was like, she started to manifest, I think is the best way to describe it. Um, no, the, she, de the demon in her started. <laughs> yeah. Like she, she really, tried to rise up. <laughs> That's what yeah, it is. Like she really started lashing out at us. She sat across the aisle from us on, you know, like right across the aisle and she just tried to intimidate. Yes. Just kept going at it and repeating that same curse, just going at it, like talking about how we were dangerous. And she showed me that she had on two masks. She pulled them like this. Um, she said, see, I'm wearing two masks because this is what you're supposed to be doing. And what you're doing is dangerous. And I said, you need to come out of a spirit of fear. <laughs> and then come she, on just now, on. <laughs> she just kept on. And I, I just was like, okay, I'm just going to pray. So I just started praying for her. I prayed that the Lord would deliver from fear, from witchcraft spirit, from um, just that he would fill her with a piece of God, that he would give her completeness and shalom. And I prayed that she would be blessed because the word of God tells us that we have to pray to bless our enemies. Um, not just yes. And he said, bless enemies. those that curse you. Yeah. Uh, and he will handle it. But, well, I, I'm paraphrasing. <laughs> yeah. It, what was really interesting, too, is just the timing of it all, because we're on this bus that I've never ridden before. And I've got my four children with me and we're trying to figure out how to get off the bus. Right. <laughs> and this all happens as we're trying to watch for our bus stop. So it was not just the fact that it happened. It was like when it, it happened, it came. The attack came at a time where I was supposed to be um, in kind of an authoritative position in a different way over my children, trying to get them off a moving vehicle. <laughs> in the right, right. Place, you know what I'm saying like there's just so much happening and I'm trying to sort out where the bus stop is while this woman is harassing us and just taking authority over what I knew was not of the Lord um but yeah I think it was it was a good object lesson for the children too once we got off the bus we did stop and we prayed a little bit more um powerfully just on the sidewalk and um I mean I think what I did on the bus was pretty pretty strong <laughs> but when we yes. got well and this is a good lesson again. to teach your children how to take authority of of a yes. demonic spirits so yes. when they are in that accosted with that a situation similar to that they know what to do how to do it how to come against um those demonic forces people need to teach their children that was a good lesson for them yeah and we also talked about though i told them i said look at what her fear caused her to do her fear led her into a spirit of control. And that spirit of control led her into a spirit of witchcraft. When she spoke that over us about the fine, that was a curse. And that is an operation of witchcraft. Look how that exactly. happened. And so we talked about that and about how fear will cause you to act out in ways that are of the flesh. Um, you know, some resources will say the cycle is fear, control, rebellion. But that, there's that Bible verse. And since we hadn't planned on talking about it, I didn't pull this, the reference. Did you find it? Um, the one that says that that rebellion is as of the sin of witchcraft. I think it's in first or second Kings, if I'm remembering correctly. But um, that's what the word of God says. So 
you know, my background, I, I grew up Southern Baptist. I'm a spirit-filled believer. I have some background in the charismatic community. I'm Messianic now, like I'm in a Messianic congregation now. I have friends who are Reformed. You know, like I have like so many different um, influences in my my scriptural and spiritual understanding. Um, and I know that word witchcraft can be really strong for people. But it comes from the word of God. It says that rebellion is as of the sin of witchcraft. And the reason for that, if you just think it through, That's, it, do you find it? Yes, it's First Samuel 15, 23. It says, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And right. I'm going to put it in. And stubbornness is as inquiry and idolatry because mm -hmm. thou hast rejected the word of the Lord he hath rejected thee from being kings. Let me put this in here in the as um, First Samuel. Yeah, so we can people can look it up if they want to. But yeah, yes, because we believe in here. everybody um, studying, show themselves approved, rightfully dividing the word of truth. There yeah, we go. That's right. <laughs> so if you think about what happens with this, though, when you enter into control and you're trying to control your circumstances you do end up rebelling against God because you take matters into your own hands rather, rather than trusting God with the resolution and with the path to that resolution. When you take things into your own hands and you're not surrendered to God, that's rebellion, right? So mm -hmm. if you're operating out of your flesh because you're afraid, you're afraid and you're not in a place where you're trusting God, you're taking matters into your own hands. You're in doing so you're rebelling against God. And and it says that when you do that, that's witchcraft because you're not you're not in agreement with the Lord. You're in agreement with either your flesh or even a demonic spirit, because, you know, I think it starts out with the flesh and then that can cause you to make agreement with something that's demonic, you know, exactly. Um, but that's kind of exactly. how that cycle works. And that's what I saw happen with this woman. Like she was really afraid of us not wearing our mask properly. Um, you're so irrationally afraid that it caused her to try to pronounce this curse on it, which, which will not succeed because of the blood of Messiah Yeshua. Oh, but, definitely shall not succeed. That was crushed. Yeah. Yes, yeah, right, yes. Right. The anointing, you know, then this is the mistake of people um, make. Um, you know, they, you know, breaking the chains or whatever. No, the word says the anointing destroys mm -hmm. the yoke. Let's get that clear. Let's get that clear. And the anointing on you destroyed the yoke of that word that she spoke, the yoke, because that yeah. was a yoke. Yeah. And I've been praying for her, too. She's been on my heart. I just, you know, I've just continued to pray for her. Yes. Um, we'll add her to the prayer know. list. We'll add yeah. her to the prayer list. Everybody remember, if you need prayer, <laughs> well, let me find it. Uh, if you need prayer, you know, we're right here for you. <laughs> yeah, and you all pray for that woman too. Let's pray for her that she would that she would come out of fear and she would be delivered and she would meet Messiah Yeshua and that she would be blessed. Let's just continue to pray for her. I'll probably never see her again on this side of eternity, but let's pray that I when we get into the eternal kingdom, that she's there. <laughs> let's pray yes, for this lady. Yes. Yeah, I I don't know her name. I'm sorry I couldn't couldn't offer you that, but yeah, I'm sure she really, tried. Really <laughs> it did take me a bit to recover from it, to be honest. I was like, wow, that happened. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And I'm going to read the scripture. I know we're a little off topic. We're going to get to uh, the other topic 
um, in one minute. In one minute, but I want to read this so people can understand and know, just like you did, you made sure that there was no um, lasting effect of what the word, the word curse that she spoke. Mm -hmm. uh, and it says in that day, mm, and it shall come to pass in that day that his burden has been taken away from off thy shoulders and his yoke from off thy neck and the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. Now, I know it's a little, it's not in context, but the part that I really wanted people to understand when they keep saying, the, you know, um, breaking the chains or whatever, no, the anointing, which is Yeshua, is what destroys the yoke. And so it's important when she spoke in the in we also know the blood of Yeshua um, covers the multitude of sins and it will also captivate and and put into submission the demonic activities. So we need to understand that the anointing is destroying the yoke and the anointing on her destroying the yoke. And also when she spoke in Yeshua's name by the blood of Yeshua. It really, it, it just decimated whatever that woman tried to do and mm -hmm. say to her. So, anyway, I saw the one off on that. Hey, get that in. <laughs> so, y'all, we're going to get to our main, our other main topic for today. We're going to do another swoosh because we we went a little deep. I went, you know, which is good because it's good to talk about demonic and spiritual warfare. Okay, yeah. we're going to take a look. All right, so Callie, let's get on our main topic here today. Yeah, so we're going we're going back to Psalm eighty three, where we've been studying um, these people groups who are the enemies of God. Um, and we've been working on this for a few weeks now, just trying to learn about who they are, where they came from in Scripture, where they are today, um, whether or not Psalm eighty three might be. A prophecy that's been fulfilled or it's being fulfilled or it's about to be fulfilled so um, we'll just look at Psalm 83 to begin with um, the the people groups are from verse um, 6 um, where it says let's see I'll just go back up a little bit um, it says We'll just start with verse five. It says, for they conspire with one accord against you. They make a covenant. The tents of Edom and the Ishmaelites, Moab and the Hagrites, uh, Gebal and Ammon and Amalek, Philistia and the habitants of Tyre and Asher also has joined them. They are the strong arm of the children of Lot. Um, okay, so previous episodes we have read. What was the, the last song. verse? What was the last um, verse you read? Um, I just read Psalm 83, 5 through 8. Okay. And the last one, they are the strong arm of the children of Lot. Um, so, yeah, I just read through, or in previous episodes, we've read through the whole psalm, and we've looked at different parts of it in different contexts. Um, we've covered so far uh, Edom, 
who are the um, descendants of Esau, the Ishmaelites, who are the descendants of um, Ishmael. And last week we did the Moabites um, and they came from Lot. They were the descendants of Lot and the incestuous relationship that he had with his daughter. Um, well, I, don't, I don't know if it, that's not right to say it wasn't a relationship. She got him drunk and conceived a child because she didn't think there were other any other men on the planet. <laughs> so right. Well, there was a relationship in the, in the physical, but not in the yeah. emotional. Yeah, way, right. <laughs> a little intense there. In, but that's inappropriate relations. Well, not relationship, relations. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> so you can go back. If you haven't watched those, go back and catch up on those people groups. So now we're on the Hagrites. Um, so they were kind of interesting because there wasn't a lot about them as I was studying. I got out, like I got on my um, Bible encyclopedias and I was like, who are the Hagrites? Where are the Hagrites today? And uh, there was very little about them. And, and I was like, okay, Lord, how am I going to make a teaching out of this if there's not much about them? <laughs> um, but it always comes together. It's amazing. Um, and I've really been enjoying this too. This has been really like enriching for me personally to go through this for you all and with you all. Okay, so um, the Hagrites, again, we don't, we know very little about them, all right? There are some ideas that they were actually a tribe within the Ishmaelites, who of course were Ishmael's descendants from Hagar. Um, and the reason that they think that is because Hagrite comes from the word, it, the spelling Hagar. of it comes from the word Hagar, yeah. So there's some ideas that it could be like a sub-tribe within Ishmaelites. Then there's other ideas mm. that it could be used synonymously with Ishmaelites. Um, I'm not particularly sold on that because it seems to me that a lot of times there will be a verse where it says, like every passage that I found them in, basically, except for one, um, it, would, it might say the Ishmaelites listed and then it would list the Hagrites too. So like, just like Psalm 83, it lists them as two separate groups. So I don't think it's synonymous. I think, I think it, the idea that it's a sub tribe um, is more likely. I even wonder personally, and I didn't see this anywhere, but I was I even wondering if maybe they were descendants of Hagar, but not necessarily um, Ishmael. I don't know. I didn't see that anywhere, but that's an idea that I Or they about. might be, um, you know, she might might have had other children. Yeah, exactly. She? Right, right. And uh, Isaac is not the father of those children, so that might yeah. be, that. that is a good, we don't yeah. know, but that's a no, good um, theory. And the Bible doesn't say whether or not she got married. It does suggest that she became successful because she was able to obtain a bride for her son. Um, the fact that she was able to get a bride for her son indicates that she was of prominence in the community. So um, we don't know, like that. there's very little we know about her specifically. So, I mean, that's just speculative, but I mean, there's a connection to her and there's some type of connection to Ishmael or the Ishmaelites, but I personally do think it's a separate group, um, whether it's a subgroup or descendants from her from a different man or something um okay so also um and we also know that they aren't descendants of ishmael because they aren't from genesis 25 13 through 14 when we did the ishmaelites we talked about how ishmael had 12 sons 
um, similar to Isaac. He also had 12 sons. And, and that particular passage in Genesis goes through the names of them all and refers to them as princes. So um, the Hagrites were not listed in that particular passage. So they were not descendants of Ishmael. So we just don't know exactly who they are. Um, but we do know that they um, settled east of the Jordan River near a place called Gilead. Um, that's where they lived. So it was kind of like east of the Jordan River in what is Jordan today. Um, kind of near the, um, the Dead Sea in that area. Um, and it was also, they were in proximity to the tribe of Reuben, where the tribe of Reuben was given their land inheritance. So they were mm -hmm. close by um, to the tribe of Reuben. Okay, so another place that they come up in scripture is First Chronicles 2730. Um, at that point, they, they specifically name one Hagrite, Jaziz, and he is um, described as being over King David's flocks. So he had high prominence for King David, this particular Hagrite. Um, in that same passage, that's another one where it lists other people who were Ishmaelites. So that's another reason why I personally don't think that they it's synonymous for Ishmaelite. Um, Okay, so the primary place that they're mentioned, though, comes from 1 Chronicles 5. So let's just go there. We're going to do some reading in that section. So if you have your Bibles out, you could go to 1 Chronicles 5. And uh, I want to look at verses 1 and 2 to begin with. Okay, we're going to do some learning about Reuben in the process of learning about the Hagrites. All right, so 1 Chronicles 5, 1 through 2. The sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, for he was the firstborn, but because he defiled his father's couch, his birthright was given to the sons of Joseph, the son of Israel, so that he could not be enrolled as the oldest son. Though Judah became strong among his brothers and a chief from, and a chief from him, yet the birthright belonged to Joseph. Okay, so... Um, I just want to talk about this real quick so we can understand what's happening here with Reuben. <laughs> okay, Reuben lost his birthright. All right, so there's this pattern. If you notice, there's this pattern in scripture of the firstborn losing their birthright, right? So Ishmael lost his birthright when Isaac was born because that's the one that it was originally promised to. And then Jacob lost his birthright, or Esau, sorry, Esau lost his birthright to Jacob. He sold it for a pot of stew, but it was also promised you know, it had been promised to to um, Jacob. So now we have um, Jacob's son, Reuben, who's the firstborn. So he should have gotten the birthright, which meant he would get a double portion of the inheritance and he would be the leader of the tribes after his father passed away. So um, again, we have a situation where Reuben loses his birthright. And it tells us that um, in that passage or in that verse there in First Chronicles 5, um, by one and two, that um, his birthright was given to Joseph. Um, so this is interesting too, because the next in line um, should have been either, I think, I can't remember if it's Simeon or Levi that comes next. I think, is it Levi that comes next? But Joseph wasn't the second in line. So there's some problems that happen um, that push the birthright back, okay? Um, so 
Joseph didn't actually get the full birthright either, because then it tells us in the same same passage that um, that it says that Joseph, the son of Israel, but he could not be enrolled as the oldest son because that would have been out of order because he had older brothers, right? Um, he couldn't be enrolled as the oldest son and through, through Judah became strong among his brothers. So Judah is the one who inherited um, part of the birthright as well. So Joseph and Judah both inherited part of the birthright here. Um, Judah was the fourth son born. So I just want to look at um, the, the inheritance that, um, that Jacob left his, his children. So if you go to Genesis 49, and we're going to read a few passages from here. So if you have your Bible, please do go and look at it with me. Okay, so this is what Jacob said to Reuben. He said, Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might and the first fruits of my strength, preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power, unstable as water. You shall not have preeminence because you went up to your father's bed. Then you defiled it. He went up to my couch and it says it with an excellent explanation point at the end. He's like, he went up to my yeah. couch. Okay. So what happened here, um, Reuben actually had an affair with, um, with Jacob's concubine, Bila, one of his wives. Um, you can find that in um, Genesis 35, 22, if you want to look that up for yourself. But that's why Reuben lost his birthright, because he was in sexual sin with his father's wife. Um, and and we see a pattern of that. Yes, we do. We see a pattern of this. So they had, of course, um, Jacob had four. He had two wives. He had Rachel and Leah. And then he had two concubines. Um, so um, this wasn't his mother, of course. This was uh, one of his other, one of Jacob's other wives that Reuben was with. But this relationship cost him his birthright. Okay. And we see that we see these in uh, inappropriate relationships um, with the people that's listed. One seemed like there's, there's a common thing. Those that are listed in the enemies of God mm. thus far, they've had inappropriate relationships um, physically with um, father, yeah, mm. wife, whatever. Mm. And God is very serious about inappropriate relationships yeah, and how that can. Story. There's a thread there. Esau. Yes. Um, Esau didn't. But. Um, and of course, we don't know that the the Haggites didn't come from this relationship, but this is part of their story. Um, yeah, right. Reuben is part of the Haggite Haggite story. Um, so he lost his birthright because of an inappropriate sexual relationship. Okay. Um, so in that same chapter, it tells us why Simeon and Levi were not able to inherit um, the birthright after him. It says, mm -hmm. um, verse 5 in Genesis 49, it says, Simeon and Levi are brothers. Weapons of violence are their swords. Let my soul come not into their counsel. O oh, my glory, be not joined to their company. For in their anger they killed men, and in their willful, willful, willfulness sorry, they ha hamstrung oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce. 
and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. So they did not have the character necessary either um, to receive the inheritance of the firstborn. Um, so the next one in line here is Judah. Um, Judah's the next one in this passage. He's the next brother. So verses 8 through 12, it says, Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub. From prey, my son, you've gone up. He stooped down, he crouched as a lion, and as a lioness, who dares rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him. And to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Binding his foal to the vine, and his donkey's colt to the choice vine, he was washed he has washed his garments with wine in wine and his vesture in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. So there's so many good things in this blessing that, um, that Jacob pronounced over Judah. Um, Judah. And so Nebi, everybody knows this is where, this is where you get the lion of Judah at in this yes. passage right here. When you hear the, yes. you know, a lot of people don't know, I, you know, and people sing the song, the lion of Judah. Yeah. Um, this is the passage in which it comes. That's right. And it tells us here um, that your father's son shall bow down before you. Judah's Mm -hmm. He is a lion's cub, you know, um, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet. You know, so. Um, so God Judah, has given him a king. He, um, the, the blessing for Judah is a kingdom. And if you yes. go back to the other videos, you'll notice that we talked about the. Hmm? That's where I was going. With we that. spoke about the king. Go, go ahead. No, you go. You finish that. Okay. <laughs> We spoke about the kingdom blessings and the princes and the difference between princes and kingdom. And this blessing that God gave unto Judah is for a king. Um, he's the lion, which is he's a lion's cub. This was at the, the beginning of Judah being elevated. And so um, who is the king of the jungle? The lion. OK, um, also. <laughs> Also, the scepter, the reference to the scepter. What does a king have in his hand, in his staff? It's the scepter. And so the blessings that God gave to Judah was definitely that of a king. Yes. Continue, Kathy. So, yes, the kings, the lineage of the kings in Israel came from Judah. And, of course, Yeshua came from the tribe of Judah. That was the tribe that he was born of. Um, so this is the blessing that the Lord spoke over Judah because his, the three brothers above him did not have character and had sin that brought consequences on them. It would not allow them to receive this type of inheritance. So it all came on to Judah. So, um, Judah received the blessing of leadership and in, in that kingdom blessing from his father, um, and then Joseph also received a blessing. So um, let's look at Joseph. We're just going to skip the other brothers because we're not studying them right now. But this would be a fun study too, though. Um, so yes. Studying the tribes. Okay, so Joseph starts in verse 22. 
It says, Joseph is a fruitful bough, a fruitful bough by a spring. His branches run over the wall. The archers bitterly attack him, shot at him, and harassed him severely. Yet his bow remained unmoved. His arms were made agile by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. From there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. By the God of your father who will help you, by, by the Almighty who will bless you with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that crouches beneath, blessings of the breast and of the womb, the blessing of your father, there might be, um, sorry, the blessings of your father are mighty beyond the blessings of my parents, up to the bounties of the everlasting hills. May they be on the herd, on the head of Joseph and on the brow of him who was set apart from his brothers. So yes. um, we know we know that um, Joseph was um, Jacob's favorite. Um, you know, he got the coat. We know he went to Egypt. He, is, he saved his brothers from famine. You know, we know his story. I hope you do. If you don't, you should read it. <laughs> um, and let me interject was, a couple. Of, yeah. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Um, a couple of things here. We want to go back up to 22. When he makes reference to Joseph, um, whose branches run over the wall and Jesus said that he what he is the true vine and you know you look at the you know how God has referenced it throughout there's parallels throughout the Bible I'm just I'm not going to go deep into this I'm just highlighting this for you know people to maybe want to go um Stay further. Also, if you looked at the other videos, we he talked. We talked about Callie talked about the archer and the archer who was the enemy of God. But here we read how that it states that the archers have uh, sorely grieved him and shot at him and hated him. So, Callie, uh, let's refer back to who the archers were. Um, that's known for archery in the in the studies that we have talked about. Yeah, it was Ishmael. Ishmael was known to have been good with the bow and arrow in scripture. So the Ishmaelites and the Ishmaelites, of course, are um, the Arab people today, and the Palestinians are descendants of the Ishmaelites. So okay. So it's all and they all of the rockets. <laughs> All of these teachers are coming full circle. Uh, if you notice, we'll be tying back. That's why it's important to please go back and um, review all of the um, teachings that we have done thus far. Because by the time we get to the end, <laughs> it'll be totally wrapped in, in understanding. But go ahead, Callie. Right. Yeah, so um, you know, of course, Joseph he was the or the son of, of Rachel, which is the the woman that that Jacob wanted to marry. You know, um, you know that story. He wanted to marry Rachel and was kind of tricked into marrying Leah, and then he got Rachel later, and so he had favoritism towards Joseph. Um, and Joseph did have strong character. He demonstrated that in Egypt, and he had two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And um, what ended up happening is that um, he got the financial and land inheritance. So the firstborn gets a double portion. Um, 
And so he got the double portion, but it was divided between his two sons. So um, they sometimes refer to the two sons as like the half tribes of Joseph. If you, you might mm. see that in some of your Bible studies. And when I was up in the Golan a few weeks ago, the area in the Golan actually went to Manasseh. That was his land inheritance for his descendants. Um, so that was one way that this is interesting is that the blessing of the firstborn, the leadership blessing went to Judah. So he inherited the kingdom, right? And then the financial land blessing the double portion went to Joseph, but because he had two sons, it was divided between the two of them. Um, so it's kind of an interesting way of working out that blessing and why. And I think that's important to understand as to why it was referenced in, in this passage the way that it was in First um, Chronicles 5. So we'll just go back there now um, to First Chronicles 5. Oh, I did want to say also about Judah. Um, that's why the Jews are called Jews today. It comes from Judah because, you know, like the Israel had two kingdoms. It had Israel and Judea. Um, so Judea came from Judah. And that's why the Jewish people have that title today as Jews is from Judea, Ju from Judah. Um, I just want to add that in. OK, so um, going back to First Chronicles 5. Um, we're just going to skip down to verse 10 because it next, it just basically goes through the descendants of Reuben. So we don't need to read that right now. Um, but it tells us in verse 10 that, um, well, it says in verse nine that they, that their livestock had multiplied in the land of, uh, Gilead, which is where the Hagrites lived. Okay. So they're, they're in close proximity here. And then verse 10 says, and in the days of Saul, they waged war against the Hagrites who fell into their hand and they lived in their tents throughout all the region of Gilead. So Reuben, the tribe of Reuben launched into this war with um, the Hagrites and they won. And they took that the region that the Hagrites had been in. And it further elaborates on that here. If we go skip to verse 18, we'll read 18 through... Um, what did, I, what did I have given you? 18 through 22. The Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh had valiant men who carried the shield and the sword and drew the bow. Expert in war, 44,760 able to go to war. They waged war against the Hagrites, Jetar, Naphish, and Nodab. And when they prevailed over them, the Hagrites and all who were with them were given into their hands. For they cried out to God in battle, and he granted their urgent plea because they trusted him. They carried off their livestock, 50,000 of their camels, 250,000 sheep, 2,000 donkeys, and 100,000 men alive. For many fell because the war was of God, and they lived in their place until the exile. So um, I think it's kind of interesting here just to think that Reuben, he lost his birthright. He lost his birthright. But the Lord still used him and his descendants in a mighty way to um, wage war against an enemy people of God and to, um, to have a great victory. Um, so I think that's really encouraging there just to think about what happened. Um, I looked up the other peoples here. If you, you know, It says that they waged wars against the Hagrites, Jetar, Naphish, and Nodav. Um, so 
this is another situation where Yatar um, and Nafish are both listed as descendants of Ishmael. So they're Ishmaelites. These two, so this is, they're like a sub-tribe um, within the Ishmaelites, Jatar and Nafish, and you can find them directly listed in Genesis 25, 13 through 14. Um, however, uh, Nodav isn't there. Um, so I checked on that to see who they were, and no one really knows exactly who, were, who Nodav was, who that people group was. Um, and of course, the Hagrites are not listed in that context. But this is another place, though, where they are listed among tribes that we know to be Ishmaelites. So that's why there's some theories that they are connected to the Ishmaelites in some capacity, whether it's a different name for a subtribe or um, from a different descendant from one of the other tribes or a different descendant of Hag Hagar. Um, but that's another point there that was being used to um, support them being part of the Ishmaelite tribe as a whole. Um, and then also I wanted to point out too, just about um, Reuben and his tribe being able to win this victory. So if you look back in that same passage um, in verse 20, it says, for they cried out to God in battle and he granted their urgent plea because they trusted him. So it wasn't just haphazard that God allowed Reuben's tribe to have the victory over this battle. Uh, they had humbled themselves and, and they cried out. Okay, I don't know if I've told you all that I'm studying biblical Hebrew right now, but I'm, I'm in um, biblical Hebrew level B and I'm totally geeking out over it. Like I love it so much. Um, but one of the verbs that we've been working on in our course this semester is um, the, the verb za'ak, which is uh, to cry out. And so when I read that in English, I was like, oh, I bet that's za'ak. <laughs> uh, so I went and I looked and sure enough, that's exactly what it is. It's, it's to cry out and it's to cry out in a way that's um, really strong and trusting in, in trust of God. Um, it's, it's a cry out uh, in which you're looking for God's aid and his help. Um, but it's also a proclamation. So it's not just like a vulnerable plea for help. It's like it's proclaiming like we are trusting that you can do this. You know, it's making a strong proclamation. And in most contexts where it's used in scripture, it's, it has a corporate context. So um, there's places where Jonah cried out and there's places where Nineveh cried out. That's where we had been using it in my biblical Hebrew. Um, and then... And then in this case, it would be the tribe cried out. So it's a corporate context where it's like the assembly of the people humbled themselves and cried out in confidence of who God is. It says that they trusted him. So they cried out in confidence in who God was and God delivered the Hagrites over to them. Um, so I think that that's, I, that was something that was really important that I just wanted to point out there. Um, I'm glad to use my biblical Hebrew. <laughs> I've really been enjoying that course. But let's just go back to Psalm 83 real quick. Okay, um, and I wanted to connect this back to the end of Psalm 83, because if you see here, again, if, you've been, if you haven't been following this teaching, this psalm is a prophecy of a war that Israel will have with um, these 10 people groups that we listed at the beginning. And you can go back in other sessions and see um, more about that, about this particular psalm. Um, but the end of the psalm, um, the psalmist who wrote it is Asaph. And he is crying out. So I just wanted us to 
close this with looking at what this za'ak might be. Um, it's a really good Hebrew word for you all to know, za'ak. So um, we'll just look at what this cry out might be. So I'll start with verse 13 and read through 18. Oh my God, make them like whirling dust, like chaff before the wind, as fire consumes the forest, as the flame sets the mountains ablaze, so you may pursue them with your tempest and terrify them with your hurricane. Fill their faces with shame, that they may seek your name, O Lord. Let them be put to shame and dismayed forever. Let them perish in their disgrace, that they may know that you alone, whose name is the Lord, are the most high over all the earth. So he is crying out, Asaph here, the psalmist, he's crying out on behalf of his people Israel, um, that the Lord would move among these 10 tribes, I mean, these 10 people groups, these 10 uh, enemies of God and enemies of Israel. And the reason that he does so, he says, is so that they may seek your name, O Lord. So when the Lord wins a war, it's for his glory. It's to point the nations to him. And it even said that also in, um, um, didn't it say that in, um, uh, first Chronicles five, that, that, um, he granted their plea because they trusted him. I thought it said they were given into the, and when they prevailed over them, the Hagrites and all who were with them were given into their hand for they cried out to the God in battle. Ah, I lost it. But I thought when I read it that it said that. 520. What? 520. I think 520. Okay, yeah, yeah. Where they cried out to God in battle and he granted the urgent plea because they trusted him. Um, oh, it was 22. For many fell, fell because the war was of God and they lived in their place until exile. So the war was of God. Like this is a war that God ordained and that God needed to happen in order for himself to be glorified. Um in First Chronicles six thirty two, and he used Reuben, who had lost his birthright, because Reuben and Reuben, you know, the, the tribe of Reuben had humbled themselves, and he was able to use them through their humility to accomplish his purpose. Um, but his purpose with war is always that the nations would seek seek the Lord. So um, that's another theme that I'm really noticing as I'm studying different wars in scriptures that that's God's ultimate purpose is that when there's a war, that it would cause the nations to seek his face. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So that's what I have. <laughs> that is awesome. That's such a good teaching today. We encourage everyone to um, go back and look at the previous sessions. We're not going to go deep in today because once we finish, we're going to do a wrap up overall. So I don't want to go too deep. Yeah. I want to thank everybody for joining us today. Thank you so much for allowing us into your homes. Like, subscribe, and share, share, share. <laughs> All right. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom and Hanukkah Sameach. Happy Hanukkah. Happy Hanukkah.